Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. Hey, Sean Spicer is going to join us here in just a few minutes. Also, Chris Clem, who uh, Chris is an amazing story. Retired Chief Border Patrol agent, served as a Border Patrol agent for 27 years in a um, supervisory capacity in many of those instances. He's going to join us at 525. I have an audio cut of the day coming up as well. Tomorrow on the show, I didn't get into this today. You know, this whole dispute in Jeff City with the Senate in particular has to do with what they call IP reform. Now, my sense is that a lot of voters hear that and they think it's like Internet uh, protocol or something like that. No, it's initiative petition. And it's interesting to me, Sue, and we'll explore this a little bit more tomorrow. But, you know, politicians and elected officials, they're supposed to represent us. Right. So if you would go out into the state of Missouri and you would ask people what their priorities are for the legislature, I think there may be about three to five people that would say IP reform because this is such an insider baseball thing. But I want people to understand what's at play. A lot of this has to do with um, the potential for there to be a ballot issue about abortion, right? So to kind of cull it down, you have a scenario where you have a supermajority with Republicans. Right now, they don't all get along. You'd almost think they're two different parties, but they have the numbers and they can pass pretty much whatever they want to get to the governor's desk outside of the infighting that they have amongst themselves. Democrats don't have the ability to do that. So the way that they try to achieve policy is through the ballot. And you saw this with recreational marijuana. There's been Medicaid uh, reform issues that have gone to the ballot, and that's what they're trying to do with abortion. So what the Republicans are trying to do is say, wait a second, you just need a majority of voters right now to approve the ballot issue. We want to make it a little tougher. We would say it has to pass a majority in three of five congressional districts. So maybe it doesn't pass in Kansas City and St. Louis, but if it passes in, um, I'm sorry, five of eight. I think I said three of five. Five of eight congressional districts. But it's interesting because I'm not, I'm not a big fan of, of what they're doing, what Republicans are doing with this IP reform. Mary Elizabeth Coleman has been handed the duty because some of this has been held up, but they sent it out of committee, all the bills. There's a lot of different bills. They all call for different things. She'll join us tomorrow. Also, Congressman Jason Smith, he's the chair of the House Ways and Means Committee. Jason's gotten into a little trouble with um, some conservatives out there. The Wall Street Journal has editorialized there's a tax cut package that deals with a child tax cut credit, essentially a bit of a compromise with Democrats. And there's an allegation that Congressman Smith went a little rogue on this particular issue. So we'll talk to him about that. And obviously he's on the impeachment inquiry um, 
you know, the, he's one of the three-point people on impeachment as well. So we'll get with him. It's always great to catch up with Jason tomorrow. We have a roundtable set for Friday. Jane will be here. Jeff Rainford back on the panel. And Greg Keller, uh, Keller, not Keller, Republican campaign consultant Greg Keller, who's always uh, on fire. He'll be here Friday afternoon. Right now, though, let's welcome to the program our friend Sean Spicer, host of the Sean Spicer Show. You can listen to that anywhere you get your podcasts. Spicer, how are you this afternoon? I'm doing all right. How about you? Fantastic. Have you heard our Corey Bush news here in St. Louis today? I have. Uh, you know, uh, I unfortunately, the funny part about it is I watched her walk down the steps, the, the steps of the, of the house, and I was in the middle of something, and I, I was dying because I wanted to hear this lame excuse that I'm sure she would throw your way. So you can fill me in on that. But I saw the, the charges. It'll be really interesting to see. Uh, what what how this plays out though? Because it's funny. I I was waiting for the AOC response about how they were being targeted by the Biden Justice Department or something like that. You know, I think I've said this to you before, and, and maybe my tongue is you know maybe not so firmly implanted, but I I've joked a little bit, and I said it earlier today that man, I get worried in this situation because Corey is like the gift that keeps on giving for Republicans because she opens her mouth in so many stupid ways. On the other hand, I mean, the reality of the politics here is that, and you know this better than than most people, it it makes St. Louis suffer. You know when. Um, Congressman Clay was there. I don't know if you ever knew Lacey, but I had a good relationship with him, and he was certainly by no means a Republican, but he worked with Senator Blunt, who was a Republican, and other Republicans to achieve things for the region, like the National Geospatial Center that they're building right now. Cori Bush wants to defund the number one employer outside of the police, Sean. The number one employer in her district, she's for that. Yeah, well, that's like AOC getting rid of that Amazon headquarters in in the Brooklyn area because she didn't think they paid whatever. And it's like, those were all high paying jobs. I mean, these people are insane. And to your point, you know, it's sad because there are a group of people that rely on them to be their voice in Washington and get basic things done. Uh, You know, uh, constituent requests and things. And then you've got a moron that can't do the basics and uses that forum that they get to advance some pretty wackadoodle things. So did you just have a, a National Guard call-up? You've told us that you've come through St. Louis quite a bit on some of those missions. Did you have to do a little work recently? Yeah, but I'm, I'm not sta- I haven't been stationed uh, there for quite some time. I'm not, I mean, like literally, I think, three years. So uh, I have, I've, I've moved on. <laughs> no, I knew that. I just didn't know. I didn't know if you had anything relevant with, with the mission that you could talk about. Or is that all like, kind of top secret? I guess you weren't down in uh, Texas cutting the razor wire, were you? No, no, that's a that's a Texas that's National Guard, uh, which is a Title Ten mission or a Title Thirty Two mission, uh, meaning those those folks are under the control of the governors that they work for. Uh, very different than than what I do, uh, but it's it all has to do with the orders, and that's actually ironically what Governor Abbott is afraid of is that Biden could federalize the Texas Guard troops, put them under Title Ten for a mission. Although I do think it would be a bit sketchy at best, but then again, I'm not a lawyer. And then that would prevent them from doing what Governor Abbott has ordered them to do as, as a National Guardsman. So it's uh, it's a whole different thing, but it is really sketchy how that's how, you know, what what they're potentially thinking of doing, at least Abbott's put out a statement about it. So it's obviously something that's in the in the ether. 
I have our, after we speak here a little bit later in this hour, I have Chris Clem, who's a retired chief border agent who was there for 27 years and his perspective and all this. But just where, where do you, you know, we had the Red State Rebellion. Our governor finally saw that last week. I don't know where all this is heading to your point here a moment ago, but it, it's stunning to me. And I've said this so many times that you have the polling from the L.A. Times a couple of weeks ago, 62 percent of registered Democrats, even more likely voters. They're outraged. I don't know who's not outraged outside of the AOC and the Cory Bush, you know, and the progressives here in this country. But but it doesn't seem to really get to the administration. So are we, are we, is it that simplistic, Sean, that they're just doing this because they want to increase the number of their voters in Democrat cities and urban areas? How, how can they be this tone deaf on this issue? Well, first of all, I would just tell you, you mentioned at the beginning, I, the Sean Spicer show, which is available wherever you get your podcast. I had Chad Wolf on yesterday and I asked him point blank. He was the former acting secretary of Homeland Security. And I kind of went through this very methodically. What can the president be doing right now? Because he claims he doesn't have the authority. Uh, why? You know, we went through all of it methodically. So to, if you really want a more in-depth answer than what I'm going to give you, uh, you can go to YouTube or Apple or whatever and check it out. But the answer is what you pointed to. Number one, that this notion that they're not solving the problem is where we on the right miss the point. They, they, you put your finger on it. Um, th- this is about future voters, and they want to fake it, which is, see, I'm doing something so that the, that the, the wing of their party that does kind of care, suburban women, uh, some of the people outside city, I mean, where, where they have a problem, they want to be like, pretend that they're actually trying to do something. But then for the most part, their party actually wants these people to be coming in. Um, and, and so that's the joke that we need to start getting in on, which is they're not trying to solve this problem. They don't want to solve it. And as soon as we understand that, it makes it a lot easier to get this. The point, though, that I made to Chad and I actually had Congressman Keith Sell from Texas on is we, we need to flip the messaging on this and just start turning to Democrats and saying, how many terrorists are acceptable to come into this country? Give me a number. Because right now we know that we've had over 160 something. Uh, the other day we had a guy that was part from as a Virginia, um, uh, our, our, that, that we knew was trying to come in the country that basically was on video saying, you'll know who I am soon enough. Right, right. And, I remember seeing that. And, yeah. Um, and, and so my point is, is that we, we have got to stop. It, it, we keep talking about this in the context of it's an immigration issue or a border. Like we need to just start getting back to safety and saying Democrats don't want to secure the border. We know for a fact that terrorist people on the terrorist watch lists are coming in. So how many is acceptable? Five hundred. What's, what's the number of terrorists that we should be allowing into the country and make every one of these people give us a number? What's the number that's acceptable? Because they want to negotiate this. They, this is the, the most insane thing ever, Mark. The idea that we're having to negotiate security on our southern border. After 9-11, we all held hands and said, tell us what it takes to get this place secure. We're all going to jump off together and, and be willing to go through extra screening and do all these you know, three ounces of liquid or whatever because like, that's what it's going to take. Okay, fair enough. What are we doing now? 20 years later, where we're literally allowing people known we have such a porous border that we're allowing people to come in. We've got Chinese, uh, you know, military age men at the border, people from Russia, India. This isn't just a bunch of, you know, migrants seeking asylum from South America, as the media likes to make it seem. We are watching this happen in front of our faces. Democrats are adamantly opposed to it. So we need to start flipping the script on them and just saying how many terrorists are acceptable to get in. Because that's what they are doing. And they want to have a discussion 
about, you know, this bill. And the funny part about this, it was, it was a great point that somebody made to me the other day. This quote unquote sham bill that the Senate is negotiating, one of the provisions has to do with H-1B visas. These are the high tech, high skilled labor issue. Why does that have anything to do with this? Well, yeah, because should. we're using this as a Christmas tree to put everything on. This has nothing to do with border security. It's a sham to allow that discussion to happen. And Democrats are using it to get all of the stuff that they want put through this bill as opposed to actually dealing with the security of our country. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Sean Spicer, host of the Sean Spicer Show. As he mentioned, you can find it where you listen to your podcast. Let's shift to politics. It's a presidential election year, Sean. I don't know if you, you knew that. I heard. It's, yeah, I but did. I heard. You told me months ago, though, all the talk about, like, if Michelle Obama's going to swoop in. I mean, this is what we got, right, moving forward. I don't know what you think of Nikki and hanging on right now. I think there's a little hedging on maybe something happens to Trump with all these cases. But, again, even with the E. Jean no, no, Carroll on, situation. On, just stop. There, okay. there's, there's no hedging. No, all there's right. no hedging. Look at I, I get it. We all need stuff. I have a podcast. You have a show. We need to fill it. <laughs> Michelle Obama will not be the nominee. I, neither I will Nikki Haley. Neither will Nikki Haley. And as soon as we can, and and, and I, and even President Biden, the one thing he does understand is that Trump will be the nominee. Uh, he at least acknowledges that, and that's the reality that's going to happen. It's a, it's a game of numbers. It's a game of delegates, and the and the game. I mean, we can see it through right now if we want, but. It's it's a it's happening. And so she can hang on, you know, for a couple more weeks or whatever she wants. But there's I mean, this is like when I was in college and, you know, the guy would knock on my door and say, hey, I got 10 bucks, a half a tank of gas and three Cokes. You want to go? And we're like, yes, let's go. I don't know where we're going or how long we can make it, but let's just have fun. That's what they're doing on the Haley campaign right now. Hanging on for dear life, figuring out how long they can go and how much gas they can get in that car. But it's not going very far. Well, then meantime, you know, look, the president's had some rough days, even just getting words out, which we're familiar with. But is, is there because, you know, they're going to beat the hell out of Trump in every way they can. They're going to focus on the abortion issue. I think the border issue is very important. Republicans, if we want to just kind of break it down to politics right now. But, you know, I, I worry that as we get closer here, this polling is going to shift around. And somehow, especially with third party candidates in here, something's going to happen where Biden gets reelected. Then you got Harris in the White House, Sean, in a couple of years, probably. Yeah. Well, listen, I think that you're you're on to something. So let's be vigilant. Let's be hardworking. I mean, yes, if anyone who thinks, look, we had 40,000 votes over three states um, last election, and I think it was 70,000 over three states the time before that. Michigan was won by 10,703 votes. If you don't think this is going to be a close election, you're not. I think you're right on the third party thing. I, I, here's what I will tell everyone. You want to know who wins? Tell me what three, how the third parties, what third parties get on the ballot. Right now, RFK is only on one. He's on the Utah ballot. But let's see what else he gets on. What else new labels get on? How well does Jill Stein do with the Green Party? That's the key to this thing. Enough of these states were decided. That being said, you're absolutely right. So if you are concerned about Joe Biden in the election, then get out there uh, and work hard, help register people, get them to the polls, make them understand what's going on. And understand that the Democrats are going to do everything they can, as they've shown so far, to throw the kitchen sink and, you know, the portable sink and the generator and the shovel and everything else that they can find at this because they get what's at stake. Any voter that's out there right now, I keep getting asked, how can you vote for Trump or how this? Here's the deal. Tell me four years of Trump versus four years of Biden. Right. Four years of Trump. Order was secure. We were energy independent. Unemployment was at record lows. Interest rates were lower. No foreign incursions. Uh, I mean, it was right. And now here's the, the flip side of Biden. And if you don't see that, then you've got bigger problems than than uh, anything else going on right now in terms of what people have the greatest clarity of choice 
that they've ever had in the modern age because we have four years of an administration. There's nothing hypothetical. There's nothing notional. It's crystal clear. Here are the four years of Trump. Here are the four years of Biden. Pick. If you want higher interest rates, an unsecure border, not energy independence, and the four and the rest of the world blowing up, then stick with Joe Biden because that's what you're going to get four more of. Uh, and I agree with you, by the way. You're ending up with Kamala Harris. So yeah. that's how this story ends. Uh, I just I, – I, when people whine to me about tweets and stuff like that, I go, okay, we didn't have service members dying the way that we did. I mean like this is just nuts what's happening. We didn't have a flow over the southern border the way that we did. And, and so if you can't handle a couple errant tweets – then you have, then I think your priorities are mixed up. Yeah. Well, look, I'm not a fan. Of, you know, I never have been a fan of some of the behavior. But here's what I would say. You know, it's interesting, and I'm sure you've noticed this. He, he's, he's kind of dealing with. He's in campaign road right now, and he's pretty relaxed. And it's presidential Trump. You know, I, I've used that word. I, I don't know other another way to describe it right now. So if yeah. he can stay in that mode, I think that's a good thing for sure. I, I agree with you. I think that that's his speech after. Uh, Iowa was fantastic. I love the way that Tim Scott put it on Meet the Press uh, the other day. He said, you know, his language is a little bit more provocative than I would normally uh, than than I would use. I think that's it. But again, it goes back to Mark. I, there are days, and you know, my mom would be washing my mouth out with multiple bars of soap <laughs> if I said half the things that he did. But the difference is, is that I, I guess what I try to tell people is, I get it. I don't talk like that. I wouldn't. But but would you rather have salty language uh, or a secure border and a more prosperous country and more focus, less focus on, on letting the criminals run the country? Because uh, that's I, I just we, we are in a situation now where all these cities, I'm sure you guys, I mean, St. Louis is probably, you know, up there as well, where you're watching the, the criminals wag the dog. Right. I mean, in D.C., they sit around and they're now giving out free air tags so that when your car gets stolen, they can help find it. Oh my. So that, I, oh yeah, didn't know I mean, that. this is yeah. no joke. Yeah, they're giving the police hand you a de- now, The kicker to me is you get an air tag to find the car that got stolen because so they don't want to, you know, go after the criminal. So at least we can find the car that they stole, but this is what's happening. And my, and my point is, I get it. Just the question is here's we, this is going to be an, a binary choice, which is, which do you want? And I get it. Uh, you know, I, it's not that I, I don't I, I, I agree with all of the language and the the but 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 what 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 is a better choice uh, having some salty language here and there, but a stronger country or a situation where you get somebody that you wonder who's running the country um, and the results are speak for themselves. I mean, just on, I, I was looking about this, looking at this earlier today. You think about what's happening right now uh, with respect to the Houthis, the the attacks and the incursions on on our assets, the the killing, the absolute, the targeting and the killing of three service members. And it was the first week of October that the National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan said that the Middle East has never been more stable since the early seventies. These guys are clueless. They've this fatal withdrawal out of out of Afghanistan a years ago has set the president for everything that we need to understand about how they do it. Robert Gates was, was right when he said Biden has been on the wrong side of every foreign policy foreign policy issue for four decades. And it continues. So we're seeing the consequences of, of this Biden administration every single day. Um, and I just I, I don't think that this should be a tough choice for most people. Sean Spicer, always great to have you on. I hope all is well. We will talk soon. We'll see where this all takes us. And uh, I appreciate coming on here this afternoon. Thank you. 
You bet, Mark. Take care. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Audio cut of the day coming up here in just a little bit before we wrap this hour. On tomorrow's show, he's the chair of the House Ways and Means Committee, also one of the three members of Congress who are kind of in charge of the impeachment inquiry. And Jason Smith's going to join us tomorrow. And, you know, since we last visited with Congressman Smith, as uh, Ways and Means is a very powerful committee. It's the tax writing committee. And a lot of very important legislation has to go through Ways and Means. He's got a bit of a proposal on the child tax credit that is not being welcomed by fellow Republicans unanimously. So we'll talk to him about that tomorrow on the show. Also, State Senator Mary Elizabeth Coleman will try to explain some of this uh, initiative petition reform that we keep talking about in Jeff City. Right now, Chris Clem is with us. He is a retired chief Border Patrol agent, served on the border for 27 years. You may see him on Fox from time to time. He's back on 97.1 FM Talk. Chris, how are you this afternoon? I'm doing great. Hey, I look forward to the conversation and glad to be on. Well, we're glad to have you. And, you know, it's one of those situations. It's it's so frustrating and baffling what we see. I think Bill Malusian at Fox, I know you're on Fox quite a bit. He's been doing an outstanding job. I mean, I don't know where to start here, Chris. I really don't. It's just outrageous what's happening at the border right now. No, that's the understatement of the, of the year or the understatement of the last three years. Uh, and you're right. Uh, shout out to uh, my friend Bill Malusian. He's been covering it. Anybody that watches it, uh, that's real live on the ground when he's reporting. I've, I've been there. But, you know, look, let me, let me just tell you, I spent 27 and a half years as a border patrol agent. The last, you know, uh, two years of my career, I was the chief patrol agent, U.S. Border Patrol down in Yuma. Prior to that, I was the deputy chief, the number two for all of the El Paso region. Uh, I've been on the front lines as an agent all the way up to, uh, uh, to chief and, you know, a career employee. I mean, I started under, under President Clinton in 1995, worked all the way up through this. Every administration has leaned forward to try to do something to keep America safe and secure the border as it pertains to our border security mission, except this one. Um, 25 years in, uh, the last uh, last few months of Trump, we were at like the lowest numbers I'd seen in a long time. We were doing really, really well. Um, nothing more than for political purposes. Uh, I don't know why this administration just pretty much unraveled everything that we had done, um, put us in a world of hurt. Um, and, and let me just tell you, that's not just opinion. Let me let me just back that with some numbers. In 2000, in uh, uh, fiscal year 2019, Border Patrol had just over 900,000 apprehensions. It went down to 405,000, uh, roughly 405,000 apprehensions in fiscal year 2020. In 2021, it went up to 1.66 million. The next year, it went up to 2.2 million. And then we ended fiscal year 23 with over 
3.2 million total arrests along the, uh, uh, the borders of the United States. That is a direct result of failed leadership coming out of the White House, failed policies. Now, I say that some would argue it's intentional, and, and maybe it is. So it's not a failure, but it's failing the American people when it comes down to the border security. That that number there, 3.2 million, that's basically the population of the area that I'm in right now. Yeah, isn't that nuts? That's crazy. When you when you think about that, like we're already dealing with all sorts of uh, economic issues. The prices of everything has gone up in our lives, and we continue to bring more people in, adding to this misery. And and let me just let me just kind of put this in perspective. I mean, look, it is a humanitarian crisis because people are being exploited, but they're being exploited for the wrong reasons. You know, they're they're not coming over. They're not being brought over here. You know, to to you know, for a better life, if you will, they're being brought over here and they're being exported by the smugglers who are charging them. And if they don't have the money, they're going to have to pay that out in something, right? Indentured servitude, sex trafficking. And where I'm going with this is a lot of these people that claim that we're helping uh, these, these migrants out, we're actually creating an environment that puts them in this trafficking vortex that all too often they don't realize they're in, in it until yep. it's too late. And you know, we're calling it a humanitarian. We're let's facilitate. We don't want to hold them in custody. Actually, we're saving their lives. The longer we hold them in custody and the quicker we can get them adjudicated. And if they need to go back, they go back to their country. But uh, look, uh, 90% of the people that we encountered on those numbers are just looking for a job. They're not coming over here to assimilate, to become citizens. They're just going to work, try to get uh, take advantage of some things and want to go back home. We, we just don't create that uh, legal pathway to do that. Uh, to uh, uh, in today's terms, so it's forcing this uh, this mass push and this mass pull for people here in the United States. It's I crazy. thought I thought that this Chris was rather stunning yesterday. I came across this audio on um, Twitter, X, formerly Twitter, if you will. This is Jay Johnson, who was President Obama's DHS secretary, and and this is stark when you compare the numbers that you just tossed out there to what Jay Johnson, a Democrat, says in this clip. My staff will tell you if it was. Under 1,000 apprehensions the day before, that was a relatively good number. And if it was above 1,000, it was a relatively bad number, and I was going to be in a bad mood the whole day. On Tuesday, there were 4,000 apprehensions. I know that 1,000 overwhelms the system. I cannot begin to imagine what 4,000 a day looks like. So we are truly in a crisis. Wow. I mean, that was a Democrat before Trump saying, you know, 4,000, that that is a huge number. That's one of the numbers that's been tossed out there, Chris, with some sort of bipartisan deal that they're trying to strike right now. Well, let's uh, let's put some some fact behind that. I worked uh, in Washington, D.C. when Jay Johnson was the secretary. You know who his deputy secretary was? Alejandro Mayorkas. Mm -hmm. Yeah. uh, uh, And that was under uh, Vice President Biden. So you see the the common theme here. Look, in 2018 and 19, we were seeing large numbers. We were holding 10,000 people in custody. We actually were using that same Jay Johnson video uh, quote uh, to explain that that we were dealing with a crisis now because uh, we weren't being appropriated uh, properly by Congress, which was uh, the uh, Democrat majority back then, and it or was leaning towards that. Look, this is the matter of fact here. Is we we were you know. We're dealing with tens of thousands of people at one time coming across. We had we had twelve thousand apprehensions a day for a couple of days just December, less than a month ago, and of course now we're you know high fiving with four or five thousand arrests or six thousand arrests a day. That's ridiculous. And to your point, that border bill number that's floating around, 
saying if it exceeds 5,000 a day, then that will trigger. Look, if it exceeds 500 a day, it should, it should trigger yes. an automatic response. The fact that we've got members of Congress negotiating an approval or an acceptance of illegal activity is beyond yeah. me. Not and, acceptable. And that, to me, it should be it should be a non-starter. Absolutely. Now, one of the things that that I'm I think some people are confused about, and this is one of those stories that I, I can't be confident that CBS or CNN or anyone else is covering. But I want to ask you about what I've seen in Bill Malusian's reporting of um, Chinese nationals and African men, no women, no children, trying to cross the border in large numbers. I think if you would say that to some people in this country right now on the left, they'd think you were making that up, Chris. And you're we're not making that up. No, no. In fact, uh, again, uh, the video that uh, Bill shoots uh, and, and sends out there is, is quite, quite uh, uh, breathtaking—not breathtaking, but overwhelming, right? Like it's kind right. of wow, this has really happened. So let me just uh, let me just go ahead and go ahead and uh, uh, foot stomp that. That is real. Um, when I was in Yuma, my last year in Yuma, we had just over three hundred ten thousand arrests, and that's a small south uh, southwestern corner of Arizona, parts of California. Um, one of the smaller sectors uh, is in regards to geography and manpower. Uh, it was rare that Mexico and Central America made my top 10 countries daily or weekly. This was a world phenomenon. We led the, uh, the nation oftentimes in Chinese nationals, Russian nationals. Um, I was in Loopville, Arizona, when uh, that busted wide open just a few weeks before Christmas. I went down there, and I was there one morning. There was probably 800 people on the ground Maybe 200 of them were families with uh, women and children and men. And then there's another 500 or so uh, of single adult males. I would say they range from ages of 18 to 45. And that's not just somebody embellishing. I saw that. They, they were, there was all single adults, 500 single adults in that age range. Um, it, was, uh, it was ridiculous. I wasn't shocked because I'd lived through that for so long in Yuma and El Paso. I was in Eagle Pass, Texas just uh, a week or two after that. Um, when all that was just going crazy. And I, as far as the eye could see, mainly single adults. Yes, there were some women and some children mixed in there, but it was mainly single adults. So to me, that kind of bust open that whole, oh, asylum seeker narrative. Because right. many of these people are just coming here looking for work or have ill intention. They left their families behind. If you were truly fleeing because you were being persecuted because of a religious or a protected status, you would be bringing your whole family with you. So that asylum seeker narrative is, is yeah. debunked when you look at the type of people coming well, in. Chris Clem is here, veteran border agent. Look, I, I've said this many times before. The only third world nation that I've been in, and it was, um, I don't know, maybe about 10 years ago, I went down to Honduras, and I was staying in a mountaintop village with uh, my friend Bob Wamhoff from here in St. Louis who had a charity, you know, helping teach these kids and feed some of these kids, and it was stark. You know, I've talked to my daughter, who's eight years old, about how these kids, and they always had smiles on their faces, Chris, but they didn't have running water, they didn't have heat, electricity, none of that stuff, right? They ate the chicken bones, not only the chicken. So I have an understanding and empathy for people who want to come and make a better life, but it's just staggering and stunning to me that, and I saw another column last week in the LA Times where people are trying to equate this to those who came through Ellis Island. That, that is, I mean, that is such a false equivalent. It's unbelievable. 12 million people over 60 years, or we had 12 million people the last three years. How do you equate Ellis Island to this administration? That's ridiculous. You know, I did an op-ed recently. Um, I talked about tall fences, wide gates, and it kind of le- alludes to your uh, time in Honduras. Look, we need tall fences because of the border security uh, uh, is so uh, required now. Look at the events going on around the world. We just lost three servicemen the other day. I mean, we've got we've got hot spots all over the world. We've had the FBI director testify that things are kind of lighting up on all the concerns, right? 
border security should be a nonpartisan issue. It should be an American issue. We need to secure yes. that border. That's those tall fences. Those wide gates are for the, for those children you saw in Honduras that are just trying to find a better way, that just need a, an opportunity. And if they meet some of the, the basic standards, they can come in here, maybe get educated, get some work, uh, make some money, and, and go back. Now, not not the children, but you know what I mean. No, those, no, those I get People it. like that, the honest people, right? We need to have a, a, a pathway in place so the honest ones can come in and at least uh, uh, get a shot at it, and then we can throw the book and give consequences to the dishonest ones that are trying to uh, take advantage, smuggle, or use loopholes, and we need to shut that down. But uh, that's, that's the key, right? That's the, that's the empathetic, sympathetic heart that we have as Americans. That's why we'll never lose focus of trying to be immigrant-friendly. But you know what? We need to be American-friendly first. We need to secure this border, keep the poison from coming into our streets, to keep the bad actors and those that want to do harm to America. We need to be able to secure our border yep. and keep that from coming in, and then work collectively to find out what do we need as Americans to continue to keep the bloodlines going into the United States, the, the train people, help them be prosperous, and, and really do what makes America great. And you know what? It doesn't mean shut it all down. It just means securing the border and opening up good pathways. I like to, I like to say get the extreme right, the extreme left, let them go on an extreme right recess, and let's put some common sense people at the table with our business leaders, our community leaders, our hospitals, our schools, our academic leaders, and say, what, what do we need here? Let our small business owners decide what is needed here, what kind of visas they need, because if we can't find the workers here, we got to find them someplace else. But let's, let's not let the bureaucrats and the, the people in Washington decide. Let the, the men and women that are working in this country decide. And uh, to me, that's common sense. But, uh, you know, that's pretty optimistic, I guess. Yeah, you know what, you, <laughs> Chris, you beat me to the punch on my next questions because in, in your op-ed that you mentioned, you wrote about, you just kind of went over that because I think this is an important point. And I don't know how often, well, maybe I do, this might be rhetorical, how often people in Washington or even here, you know, in state government, they go out, they try to find the answers with real people. But you said, you know, in addition... I'm going to paraphrase some of the stuff that you just kind of went over. But in addition to the policy solutions, let's talk about implementing them. And your point there is, as you just sort of stated, we should talk to property owners and business owners and, and the border agents, right? The people who are dealing with yeah. this on a regular basis. But I think it's the, the sense that you got a bunch of bureaucrats that are writing this and you have a bunch of progressives right now in this White House that are trying to come up with policy. That's not realistic and has no uh, they have no clue with what they're dealing with. I mean, I'm sure the vice president does because she's on the border all the time, Chris. But outside of that, I don't know who knows anything about this. Realistically, they haven't gotten their hands on it. Yeah, no, you're right. So, I mean, I, I think there's like four approaches I look at. You know, we need to secure the border to include our ports. Border security is national security. No, no more prevalent than right now. Uh, we need to revamp the system to attract the best and brightest. I mean, we've got an archaic system. It's. It was a non-immigrant visa, worker visas, all that quota was done like in 1967, like 144-something thousand. We need to update it for modern times. We need to have a clear path to help the honest people. But, you know, like I mentioned, bad, bad uh, or consequences to punish the bad actors. And I think the most optimistic in, uh, is transparency from DHS to kind of regrain the trust of people. Like, what is really happening here? That one probably never going to happen, right? But, we, you know, it, it, is, it is important for our representative body to go out there and, and, and be part of we, the people. That's why I like hearing those, those uh, uh, hearings down there at the border. You know, I know they held one in Yuma and I, I wasn't there, but I know the people that were there, you're talking about the sheriff, the mayor, the superintendent of the hospital, the superintendent of schools, the ranchers, the, uh, the farmers, the nonprofits, the, uh, the religious leaders, the business owners, they were all there talking about 
the, the positive impacts that uh, uh, temporary workers and, and, and immigrant workers do, but also the negative impacts when illegal activity happens and border security uh, is left uh, unchecked. Absolutely. Um, and that's where you hear it from, and that's what we should be doing. It's not a stunt. The only stunt is not going down to the border and, and listening to Thank the problems. Thank you. And by the way, the border, it's not just a tagline anymore because people are feeling it. We've always said border security is national. Every town's a border town. Every state's a border state when you don't have border security. So people in the middle of the country as well as the border states are feeling the impacts of, of this administration's lack of border security efforts. And so I, I encourage you to ra- rally the troops and, and, and rattle the cages of your elected representatives and say, hey, we, we want this fixed. We need answers, you know, and it starts with plug the leak. Government loves to give you more buckets to bail out the water of your sinking ship. Just plug the leak, and then we can start bailing out. They, 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 that, that's what they keep doing. They come up with policies and throw money at the problem. But plug the leak, is- I love that. that. That's a great saying, and I haven't used it yet, but I'm going to start saying, Chris Clem, you've been outstanding. Maybe the best guest I've ever had on immigration. We'll have you back. Thank you so much. You got it. Thank you for having me. We have Congressman Jason Smith on the show tomorrow. State Senator Mary Elizabeth Coleman is going to explain some of this um, IP reform. The uh, It's not Internet protocol. No, it is initiative petition reform in Jeff City. So we'll get to all of that tomorrow. we got to do this here this afternoon. Stand by. Playback ready. Now, the audio cut of the day. Well, uh, the day started with some rumors about Congresswoman Cori Bush perhaps being investigated by the Justice Department. And then the House notification in the chamber came. This is to notify you formally, pursuant to Rule 8 of the rules of the House of Representatives, that the office of the Sergeant at Arms... Well, they kind of go on there and make it official that she is being investigated over campaign finance-related activities. Here's what Cori Bush said on the steps of the Capitol shortly after that. I hold myself my campaign and my position to the highest levels of integrity. I also believe in transparency, which is why I can confirm that the Department of Justice is reviewing my campaign spending on security services. Of course, it's only because of evil right-wingers that she's being investigated, Uh, even though there's a Democrat in the office and they run the Justice Department. I have not used any federal tax dollars for personal security services. Any reporting that I have used funds for personal personal security is simply false. In recent months, right-wing organizations have lodged baseless complaints against me, peddling notions that I have misused campaign funds to pay for personal security services. That simply is not true. Far be it for me to root for a member of Congress, an esteemed member like Cori Bush, to go down over something like this. But, boy, get the popcorn out. It's going to be fun. We'll talk tomorrow. See you at the Helbig event in a few minutes. Get more at 971talk.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 